God's Word comes to us from Acts chapter 1, as we continue our study of this book, Acts chapter 1. Tonight, we're going to begin reading at verse 12, and then read through the end of this chapter. Acts 1, beginning at verse 12, what we hear now is God's Word. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to to prayer, together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons was in all about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Here we in the reading of God's holy word. Well, at the beginning of this series on Acts, I said one of the things we will struggle with is what is called the problem of historical precedent. Uh, What is prescriptive in the book of Acts and what is descriptive? What parts tell us what we should do and what parts simply record what they did? And tonight we come to one of those texts where I I think we have to be particularly careful as we handle the Word of God with regard to prescriptive and descriptive. 
Again, there are often two poles in this discussion. One pole is to say everything in Acts is descriptive. Therefore, Acts tells us what happened many years ago, but really has no application for the church today. The other pole is to say everything is prescriptive, and if they did it in Acts, we better do it today. And how do we tell the difference? Well, the difference comes by carefully pouring over the text, a careful study. Tonight, we come to the text of choosing the twelfth apostle. And they chose the twelfth apostle by lot. Now, maybe some of you have heard of churches that use this method, uh, lots, to choose their own office bearers. Uh, Years ago, in a different denomination, uh, Mary and I belonged to a church where the office bearers were chosen by lot. They would put all the names in a bag, there would be a prayer, and they would pull out the names of those who would be chosen. And they did that, saying, look, that, that has biblical warrant, choosing by lot. Now, if this text is prescriptive, we have to think about that, because that's not how we do office bearers here. We uh, consider the men in the council room, we bring them before you, and you vote on them. If this text of choosing by lot is prescriptive, we had better change our practice and conform with the Scriptures. If it is descriptive, then we have to say, well, what do we learn and how do we apply this text to us today? I'm going to be the first to acknowledge and confess that the exegesis uh, which I bring to you tonight is not the most common understanding of this passage. But I also want to say it is not new. Uh, It is certainly not new with me. Uh, The understanding of this text that I will expound to you tonight has a history in the Christian church, a long history in the Christian church. And after pouring over this text, uh, I believe Uh, that this is the most faithful understanding, or I would not be preaching it to you tonight. We're going to talk about choosing the twelfth apostle. Well, obviously, uh, we see their need to choose an apostle. Jesus had given them work to do. He said in verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That was their commission. You will be witnesses for me to the ends of the earth. And there were 11 of them, 11 of them who would carry out this mission. And uh, you recall, children, there was 11 of them, not 12 of them. There had been 12, but one of them, Judas, betrayed Jesus. Uh, Judas uh, led the accusers to the Lord. That's what, uh, what they make reference to here. 
And they say that this man acquired a field, that's Judas, with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open, and it became known as the field of blood, Akaldama. Judas betrayed Jesus. He is now dead. And so, so they say, look, we have this huge commission. Uh, even though it's only one more, we better fill that spot. We need 12. We need 12, not simply 11. And so the need to fill this position was an obvious need. They needed one more. There was biblical justification for filling the need with one more. Verse 15, we read there that Peter stood up and he said, Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us, and allotted his share in this ministry, verse 20, for it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. Peter recognizes that the scriptures already in the Psalms spoke about what took place with regard to Judas. And he quotes from Psalm 69, that Psalm which we read earlier tonight. And Psalm 69 is an imprecatory psalm. Now, we talked about those in our psalm series. Imprecatory psalms which call down curses upon God's enemies. And that's what he quotes, may his camp become desolate, let there be no one to dwell in it. In other words, make his house empty, kill him. May there be no one there in his dwelling. And from Psalm 109, another imprecatory psalm, let another take his office. And so they had biblical justification for adding this 12th apostle. They said David already spoke of this in the Psalms. And they say he must be one who is able to become a witness to the resurrection. That was their calling, to be a witness, witnesses to the power of Jesus Christ. And so they say, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. They recognized the commission they had been given. They deduced, since they were to be witnesses, the qualifications was he must be a witness. And with the best of intentions, and with apparent biblical warrant, they proceed to choose the twelfth apostle by lot. And I would suggest tonight that while their intention was honorable, while their means was honorable, they came to a misguided conclusion with regard to choosing the twelfth apostle. This is what they did, verse 23. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, and who was also called Justice, and Matthias. Now, obviously, these two men must have met the qualifications. They wouldn't put them forward if they had not. Evidently, these two men had been a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What do they do next? 24. 
And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place of this ministry and apostleship which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. They prayed. They acknowledged their inability to read the hearts of men, and they prayed for God's guidance. And then, verse 26, and they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias. They cast lots. Now, casting lots was a legitimate way of choosing between two options. In the Old Testament, we read in the book of Proverbs, the lot is cast in the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. They, they were using what was at their time uh, the, best, the best way of doing things. They would cast the lot between these two men and one of these two would be chosen. I am suggesting that this is not, this is not prescriptive for us. Now, why do I say that? The first thing we have to recognize, when someone says to you, look, uh, we're gonna have an election for elders and deacons, and we don't want it to be a popularity contest, and so we're going to do it by casting lots, because that's what they did in the Bible. The first thing we have to say is, no, they didn't. They are not casting lots to choose an elder or a deacon. They are not casting lots to choose an office bearer in the church. They are casting lots to choose an apostle. And there is a fundamental difference between an apostle and another office bearer. In fact, we have no record anywhere in the New Testament of choosing office bearers by lot. So the first thing we say when someone says, look, we're going we're to choose by lots because that, that's what they did in the New Testament, we say, no, they didn't. There's no record of choosing office bearers, elders and deacons, by casting lots. The second reason we say this is not prescriptive for us is we remember where they are in the history of Revelation. This is being done before the close of the canon of Scripture. That means, kids, the New Testament wasn't written yet. God's Word wasn't written yet in its fullness for the church. We live on the other side of the close of the canon. And God, in His Scriptures, has given us a list of biblical qualifications for one who would be elder or for one who would be deacon. We have God's authoritative resource to turn to. And we don't ignore that biblical revelation. We don't say, look, uh, look I, I know that we have the list of, of, of Scripture, but we're going to ignore that and use lots instead. No, we live after the canon has been closed. We have the Word of God as regard to who should be an elder and who should be a deacon. 
and we remember where we are in redemptive history. This incident takes place before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This takes place before Pentecost. Before Pentecost, the Spirit was certainly active, the Spirit was powerful, but, but the Spirit was not poured out. To use an analogy of being poured out like water, the Spirit in the Old Testament was given almost like an eyedropper, here on this person, here on this person, here on this person. In Pentecost, there is an outpouring of the Spirit on all believers. All are given this, this blessing of the Holy Spirit. We live on this side of Pentecost after that has taken place. And so by the outpouring of the Spirit, we are able to understand the Word of God and apply the Word of God. The Word was given to guide us and the Spirit to enlighten us. Lots is an Old Testament method. And while you've heard me say again and again and again, the Old Testament is as much the, as much the Scriptures as the, as the New Testament, we recognize the progress of God's revelation. Don't go back to the Old Testament way. We are not pre-Pentecost. We live following the outpouring of the Spirit. Choosing by lot is simply unnecessary because God has given us His revelation and God has given us His Spirit. No, this text is not prescriptive for us. And I would suggest... This method should not have been used by them either. Why do I say that? It appears they did everything right. They evaluated two men who fit the qualification. They were witnesses to the resurrection. They asked prayer for guidance. They cast the lot and one was chosen. But I would suggest this was not a proper method for them to do because, as I said, we are not talking about choosing an office bearer. We are talking about choosing an apostle. One who will come with direct authority to speak the Word of God. And only God is allowed to choose who will speak for Him. It is not left for men to choose apostles. Again, we have no record in Scripture anywhere of one apostle calling another apostle. The calling of an apostle is the work of God. They, they, and I don't, I want to say this as gently as I can, but they are trying to force the hand of God. Because when you, when you cast lots, one of them will be chosen. It's like a kid's rolling a dice. 
If I roll dice, it will come up even or odd. That's the way it's going to be. It's going to be even or it's going to be odd. They bring these two men forward. They're going to cast lots between them. One of them will be chosen. But I would suggest neither of them was God's choice. Kids, you know who the last apostle was. You know who was chosen to fill Judas's spot. It was a man named Saul. Saul, who became Paul. He is one who fits the qualifications. He is one who was a witness to the resurrection. We read about Saul in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Now, he wa- as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. Paul fleshes that out for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul was a witness of the resurrected Christ. Paul fit the qualification to testify, to be a witness that Jesus rose from the dead. I would suggest Paul was God's choice for the twelfth apostle. After this, we never hear about Matthias again. In fact, this is the only place in the Gospels or Acts where his name shows up. Paul will go on to write almost half of the New Testament. Paul was God's choice for the twelfth apostle. So, if this is not prescriptive for us, if it describes what they did, not what we should do, how do we apply this text? Well, we don't apply it to say we should ignore what's written in the Word of God in the Old Testament. 
We don't apply it to say we should not pray to God for guidance and for enlightenment. But I would suggest as we look at this text, a text which is not prescriptive for us, nor, I believe, prescriptive for them, there are at least two things that we are to learn. And the first is that we are to leave to God the things that are God's. It is not up to them to choose an apostle. That is God's doing. We are to leave to God the things that are God's. There are some things we are simply not qualified to decide. And certainly, one of those things we are not qualified to decide is who is chosen for salvation and who is not. That is something that belongs to God alone. And you say, well, of course, we, we would never presume that. But how many times don't we think, you know, I'm not even going to bother to share the gospel with this person because certainly this is not one of God's chosen. Look at his actions. Listen to the way he talks. This certainly cannot be someone who I should be reaching out to with the words of the gospel. We are to leave to God the things that are God. We say, you know, it, it, it would take a miracle for God to save that person. And we forget. It took a miracle for God to save us. And so tonight, I can, without reservation, once again give the call of the gospel. I do not know whom God has chosen. And so I can say without reservation that if you are hearing this tonight, and you bow the knee to Jesus Christ and confess him as the only hope to deliver you from your sin, you can be assured God will honor his promises in his word. We leave to God the things that are God's. Who will be saved? It frees us up to share the gospel. We're not, we're not responsible for converting anyone. That is God's work. We are simply not qualified. The second thing we learn from a text like this tonight, and again, I've tried to, tried to find a, a good way to say this, and I hope you'll understand what I'm saying. Don't ask God to make an ungodly choice. Don't ask God to make an ungodly choice. This is what I mean. Paul was God's choice. Yet they brought two other names, and by casting the lot, one of them would be chosen. It will be even or it will be odd, but I would suggest neither was God's choice. We sometimes do the same things in the decisions we are called to make. And, and perhaps we bring before God Two choices, neither of which are his. We have uh, a job offer uh, to two different places, and we're trying to decide which of these job offers we should take. And upon investigation, 
we find out that in neither of these places is there a gospel-preaching Christian church. Now, don't go to God and say, which one should I choose? His choice is neither. Don't ask God to make an ungodly choice. Perhaps we're saying, you know, I want to ask out uh, this person or that person, and neither of them are believers. Don't say, God, which is your choice for me? The answer is neither. And you can roll all the dice you want. They'll come up even or odd. But neither of those is God's choice. Don't ask God to make an ungodly decision. God had something far more in mind than the apostles could ever have imagined. They chose these two men. And yes, the lot fell to one of them. One of them whose name we do not read again. God had a better answer beyond anything they could have imagined. Paul would be the apostle to the Gentiles who would take the gospel to the ends of their world. Who would complete the commission God had given them. God's choice was far beyond the paltry options they gave to him. Don't ask God to make an ungodly choice. This text does speak to us today. It is not prescriptive with regard to how to choose office bearers. It describes what they did. And you may disagree with this exegesis. We could sit together um, over a careful study of this text, comparing Scripture with Scripture. But certainly, we do have to agree that we are to leave to God the things that are God's. It's not up to us to, to decide who will be saved and who will not, who is worthy of hearing the gospel and who is not. God calls us indiscriminately to share his word with others. And certainly, we should not be asking God to to help us choose between two ungodly choices as if we're putting God on the hook. And then when things don't work out, well, God, I asked you, and this was your choice. No, what we learn from a text like this tonight is we are to listen carefully and apply deliberately the Word of God. We are to implore the Spirit to give us clarity. And when the Spirit does that, He will not take us outside the text. He will drive us back into the text to compare Scripture with Scripture. What was going on? Where are we in the history of redemption? Where are we in the history of revelation? We learn that we are once again to turn to God's Word humbly, imploring the Spirit for wisdom to apply His Word, this glorious Word, to our hearts, to our lives, that we might learn from what is descriptive and apply what is prescriptive. 
Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, once again tonight, we have humbly approached your word. And we confess and we declare your word is perfect. It is without error. And we ask that by your spirit, you might lead us in all truth. A truth according to your word. We know, O oh God, your spirit does not lead away from the scriptures, but drives us back into the scriptures. So we pray that you would help us. Help us be good students of that word, careful students of that word, and that your Holy Spirit would apply it to our hearts and lives, that we might be changed in the way we live, changed in our actions as those who've been taken from darkness to light. For God, you yourself have called us to be your own. And you call us to walk in your ways in the light of your word. Hear our prayer, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We turn to number 249. Number 249, thy word sheds light upon my path. A shining light it guides my feet. Thy righteous judgments to observe, my solemn vow I now repeat. We're going to sing the four verses, 249.
Receive the parting blessing of our God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Thank you.